You're such a generous people. Just reflecting on that while I was sitting there. You're generous of heart, generous in your love to the Lord. Just beautiful, generous people. And it is, is really is an honour to be here and to be able to you know, just do a bit of life together for a couple of days. I think that's really what it's about, isn't it? We sort of we bring something and we receive something, and it's reciprocated and it's just a sharing of life together for a couple of days. And um, it's pretty rich, really. Lloyd's kind of mentioned already that um, that we are coming up 20 years um, in the vignette, as you guys are too. And so we are doing a bit of a reflect back on our journey. It's always good to look back just for a little bit. You know, we don't want to constantly look back. Um, but just to kind of look back and be aware of what he's done in the past and celebrate that together and then also, you know, recognise that there's some great stuff coming up in the future as well. We're not done. Isn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> He's not done, so we're not done. And that's, I love that. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about our, uh, before we came into the vineyard, because we'll probably reflect a little bit on our whole journey too at our celebration, not just the vineyard years, but, but before we came into the vineyard, we were part of a, 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 what became a movement. Um, look, we've, we've spoken in two different locations, and I can't remember if the Lloyd's already talked about this or not here, but, but, but before we came into the vineyard, we were part of something that took place, which was for us like a spontaneous expansion of the church. We, we, we'd stepped out of a church which was um, we'd planted actually, and it was a wonderful thing, but it just wasn't a good fit for us. Um, it was in another denomination, and we were faithful to it, and we and it grew, and God was faithful to the work, but it wasn't really our fit. And then when Lloyd went, um, so we stepped out of that and um, and started a little prayer meeting that became. A church that became ten churches over five years, and if anything, it wasn't something we were trying to make happen. We were, we were, we decided we'd sort of lost our way a bit in terms of you know following hard on the heels of who Jesus is and is to us, and we just thought we've got to just we've got to find him again in all of this. We'd got sort of lost in church, and we were the pastors, so <laughs> so that's a bit scary. So, um, so we had to step out of that and just find, you know, where are we going as a couple, you know, with the Lord, and and so this this thing kind of started to take place, which we named Harvest. They became um, Harvest Christian Centres, and there were ten of them over five years throughout the country, from Invercargill, if you know, New Zealand, up to Whangarei, I think, actually. So um, they spanned the nation, and um, we ha- started to have these beautiful experiences in the Holy Spirit, and they were beautiful. I think the Lord sort of honoured us in our stepping out because we were seeking him, and, and so we had these experiences in the Holy Spirit. We would see the power of God come. We would, we'd have these wonderful encounters with God, and even in the worship sometimes, people would be being de- delivered and set free right in their seats. No one was talking about deliverance. No one was talking about being set free, and right beside someone else, you know, People were getting healed. And so all around us, without us doing anything, you know, the Holy Spirit would come and we see these beautiful moves of God. And, and you know, we were just like babies. Um, we, we were like little children who'd, who were just sort of led out to play. And, and we were determined not to lose, you know, that love of Jesus and, and, and to not lose that sense of being followers after him. And all these things started to happen. 
And, and it was wonderful, and we loved it. But the truth is, we didn't really know how to articulate what was going on. We didn't have language for our experience. We just didn't have any language. We didn't know how to pass it on. We didn't understand. We just knew that God was there and stuff was happening. And, um, and that, was, that, that seemed to be enough until we, until we kind of encountered the vineyard. And then when Lloyd went to the Wimber conference um, and, and just came home and said to me, you know, I've just, I've just cried my way to healing. He said, I just saw this, this kind of chubby guy in, a, in an ill-fitting tracksuit <coughs> waddle out onto the stage pretty much and say, come Holy Spirit. He said, and he did. And he said, and he wasn't dressed for power. He wasn't wearing a three-piece suit. You know, he wasn't jumping through the shrubbery and making outrageous claims and wearing white shoes like they did in those days. <clears throat> um, but he was just, you know, just, and the power of God came. And as he, you know, came home to me and he said, I found my tribe. And I thought, well, that's nice for you, but I'm at home, I've just had a baby. <laughs> so I really don't know what you're talking about. And um, so, you know, we had to play a bit of catch up there for a while. Um, but what happened for us was we started to get language for our experience. And I'll never forget one of our pastors, and, and one of our harvest pastors, actually it was Vic Francis, said to Lloyd, you know, when, when we actually came into the vineyard with these 10 churches in the mid-90s, um, Vic said to Lloyd, well, why do we have to be vineyard? What's wrong with this? This is working. And Lloyd was like, no, you don't get it. This is us. Um, we are that. We just, John wasn't releasing the nation, so we couldn't be that. But um, we are that. And then when, when Vic, you know, um, had some experiences with, you know, conferencing and vineyard, and vineyard stuff, he was like, yeah, Lloyd, that's it. They are us. We are them. We, 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 have, we found our tribe. So it was a beautiful thing. So what we discovered was that we had language for our experience. We could actually articulate what we believed. We still had the experiences, but we had language. We had some theology around our experiences, which was a bit like what Dan was showing earlier, that picture of the oil you know, rig thing. And, um, it, and so we had some language for what we believed, which was cool. So it was this lovely framework, and I think we need that, don't we? And this is what we're talking about here over these, this, this kind of very brief sort of fly-in with you guys, this thing about community um, building and kingdom expansion. So we need the power of God. We need to see the signs of the kingdom, and, and, and God loves to do it. But we also need to have um, language for for what it is. Sometimes we can't explain it, and that's okay, but generally speaking, it's good to have some words so that we can announce what God's doing. We can speak to conditions and see them healed. You know, the scriptures encourage us, you know, don't ask the Father. Once knowing that the Father has said it, then announce healing rather than ask God for it. So we can do these things because we have language for it, through, obviously through the Gospels, but John was one of those wonderful people along with other theologians who gave us language for our experience. We knew how to pass it on with words. I loved, I was just watching something the other day actually because we were running a connect group in our, um, in our house. And um, we're, so we're, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit actually and it's, it's just neat. We're just going through the gifts and how to use the gifts and and when to use the gifts and just experiencing the gifts. So we're doing all that stuff. It's really fun. And um, one of the, so we showed a bit of Wimba. We thought we'd better tr trot him out and show a bit of Wimba. So um, there was something lovely that John said on one of these uh, Signs and Wonders, actually, um, DVDs. He said, theology is to experience what a milk carton is to milk. I thought, gosh, that makes sense. In other words, we need the carton. We need the theology. We need the structure. We need that oil 
rig. Um, but we need to be able to then fill it with something. We need to have the experience. So having the experience is vital, but having the theology is actually really important. And that's one of the things I think has been lovely that we can bring to the whole body of Christ. We can bring our part to the table. We love the whole church. But we can bring who we are with some language. We can actually, um, you know, we can articulate a little bit. This is who we are. And, and I think that's a good thing. I, I love that. I love that about the vineyard. I loved it since, since, since day one. I'm still so grateful for that. You know, we, we can, you know, reading about speaking in tongues, I remember when I read about how you speak in tongues. And I'd, I was a bit of a, a rookie. I was a, I was a bit of a rank, naive pagan, actually, when I came into the kingdom. So I was one of those people who, I was always a kid who liked to ask why. Why, why, why? My grandmother said that to me. You always asked why. So I, I sort of went on this journey of like, you know, reading the scriptures, brand new Christian. And I came across these words in, in, in the book of Acts that they spoke in tongues. I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues. I didn't know it was controversial in the church. No idea. But I just read about it in Acts and I thought, that sounds interesting. And it's in the book. So I think I'll ask for it. And over a period of a week, I asked, I'd like to do that now. And as the week went by, I was kind of nervous the first time I did ask. But as the week went by, kneeling beside my bed at home, I got a bit more kind of bold about this. It's in the book. Why isn't it happening? And, um, and that's how I came into that experience of speaking in tongues beside my bed. Um, my sister and I shared a room. I was 19 years old. And she was in bed, you know, opposite me. And so I start speaking in tongues beside my bed, you know, hands raised. And I didn't want to stop in case I didn't, it, it didn't come back. And um, I had no teaching about it. So I had the experience. And there I was with this amazing experience. So my sister gets excited because she'd become a Christian as well. And here, we, here she's going, praise God. And then mum walks in who wasn't aware of the experience and wasn't, you know, my parents came into faith a lot later. And so she's standing there gobsmacked at the bedroom door. And um, she's brushing her hair and she's holding her comb. And she says to my sister, what is Vicky doing? And my sister goes, she's speaking in tongues. Isn't it amazing? And mum goes, just don't let your father hear it and walks out. <laughs> So, um, you know, so my journey of just, you know, experience and then theology and that journey of just those things, you know, just strengthening the message and strengthening our ability to speak with boldness because we have understanding for what we believe. So it's a beautiful thing. Yes, so, um, but I love it and I love some of that stuff and I could, we could sit here all day and go around the room and talk about some of the language we've been given, some of the, the words that we understood that gave clarification to, to what was going on for us. Um, things like, you know, that we don't, we don't, um, that his presence and his power are the same. We experienced that pre the vineyard, but we didn't understand it till we came into the vineyard because we didn't, we hadn't, didn't have words for it. But the, the presence and the power are the same thing. Where his presence in is, his power is. And that we join his story, the meta narrative of God's story from Genesis to Revelation. He's got a story. We don't have to make up a story. We step into the story of God and find ourselves in his story. Our purpose is just inter integrated into his story. And that's what a wonderful thing. Isn't that freeing? You just can just go, oh my gosh, the, the story's there. I just step into it. I live out of the story of God and I join his story without having to create my own ministry. You know, with the ministry of Jesus, we join his ministry. We do kingdom works. Things like we only do what the Father's doing. We listen for that, then we touch, then we bless and reach out. Just, just those nudges of responding to the Holy Spirit. All those beautiful phrases that have come since we came into the vineyard. All of us here in this room and for us at home too. Just, I just love all that and, um, and that he's always at work and it's just wonderful to be able to, to know that while we're sleeping, he's not. While we're resting, he's not. 
that we can have a Sabbath. We can enter into his rest as we do kingdom life. And this is a beautiful invitation about doing the works of the kingdom out of rest. So he invites us into the rest of God and to do kingdom life out of, out of the rest of God, out of knowing he's done it all and we just get to, you know, to put a hand on it and see beautiful things. I love that. Yeah. And I, know, I love that it's just not old stories. That, as I said, we're reflecting back on these 20 years. It's just not old stories. They're new stories. And I'll just share a couple just in the last couple, couple of weeks, really. We were down country. Lloyd's been doing some writing, so he took a week out to not be disturbed. So I went with him, which was a bit of a risk on his part because I love to talk. And um, so he was trying to do some writing. So I had to find some things to do so I didn't distract him. And I did a bit of reading and a lot of walking and some reflecting. Um, but then after he'd finished that, we actually went and had lunch with a couple who are down in that part of New Zealand who we haven't seen for some time. So we were like, let's go find those two and, um, and just catch up for lunch before we head home. And so we met them in a cafe and it was raining outside and, um, and um, yeah, as it does everywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> I'm quick, don't worry about me. <laughs> and um, and so, um, so there we go. And he says to us, let's go, and, let's go and sit outside and have our coffee. And I'm like, Bruce, it's raining. <laughs> You're getting wet. And he's like, oh, okay. He didn't say anything. So we order the coffee and we just, you know, we sit inside. It's kind of noisy. He leans across the table again and he goes, why don't we go and sit outside? I'm like, Bruce. <laughs> Be like, Bruce, we're going up the seats are actually wet. There was a veranda, but um, then he leans over and he says, he says to me, he said, he said, he said, Vicky, I can't hear you. He said, you've got low tones, and he said, I'm going deaf. He's 55 years old. He said, I'm going deaf so fast. He said, even medically, they're really amazed at how how quickly I'm losing my hearing. And I mean, I know the guy, he's vibrant, he's full of life, he's a charger. <clears throat> and as I looked at him, it just hit me right, right in the heart. It just, it almost took my breath away. And I was like, just, I think it was just that sense of compassion. I thought, you know, the, the phrase that went through my mind was this. You're not, you're not actually going to be able to hear your own grandchildren. And it just hurt right there, it just hurt. Anyway, we carried on for a bit, and at some point we stood up, I don't know, we did end up going outside, actually. Um, And I just said, Bruce, can I pray for you? And he's like, sure. So I just laid my hands on his ears, standing in the cafe, as you do, and just spoke to the ears and said work, and just just spent not a lot of time doing that. And then we sat down and carried on. The next morning I got a text from his wife, and she said, she said, Bruce got up this morning, and he could hear himself. And um, she said he was going around the house saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And she said, Bruce, don't you think you should change your message? (laughs) So he started saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Last Wednesday night, or the Wednesday night before, actually, because we were flying here Thursday, um, the Wednesday before the last one, um, we'd finished our connect group 
and one of the women had, she kept going with this kind of thing, you know, just during the, the night. And I, at some point I said to her, what's, what's up? She said, I've, got a, I've just got a really sore shoulder. And, and I didn't think anything more about it. And everybody left to go home. And she went off to leave as well. And I said, hey, don't go. Let's just quickly pray for that shoulder. Prayed for the shoulder. And she sort of, she did, actually, you know, the truth is, we got so busy talking about something else, I forgot to ask how it was. So, you know, women being women, we just, we just moved right along to the next subject. And then on Sunday when I arrived at church, she, rather than saying hello to me, she came at me like a, with a, like a propeller, and she was just swinging her arm around. And I'd forgotten that we'd even prayed. And I sort of thought, what's wrong with her? <laughs> like she's walking around church swinging her arm around. Like, she, And then she said, the shoulder, the shoulder. And she said, honestly, it's perfectly fine. And then she said to me, you don't realize, I couldn't grate cheese, I couldn't lift anything with my arm higher than here. She's no, it's, I'm fine, I'm great. So, so it's just so good, isn't it, that he's at work and that our stories are old and new and there's more to come. So I just love that. Uh, just one more before I kind of get into the bulk of what I want to say, but uh, this kind of does lead me there. Um, last month, uh, there was a, a lovely Korean lady uh, sitting over on the other side of the church and I spotted her. It was her second Sunday at church, and the week before, my daughter Anna had said that she'd met someone, actually, and she'd prayed for her, and, and that, I thought, that's great, but then, so that was the week before, so here, I didn't realize this was the woman, so I go over and sit with her, she was new, and I wanted to greet her and just kind of have a bit of a chat, and she said to me that, um, she said, oh, yeah, I came to your church last week, and she said, um, Someone prayed, someone prayed for me, and um, obviously it was our daughter, and she said that I had a skin condition. She said, it's hives, and she said, I've had it for years and years, and she said, she prayed for me, and I got healed last Sunday night here in your church, and she said, they've gone. Um, the skin condition's gone. And so that was wonderful, and then we just started to share a bit of story and just asked her about herself and everything, and she just told, told me, you know, that her family originally were from North Korea. She was a fourth-generation Christian, and yet she described her life story, which was one really of kind of religious legalism. She just had been really, she'd lived in a very um, restrictive kind of way in her faith, and and there'd been all sorts of repercussions around that for her, um, which had been really binding. And apart from that, she'd had many losses and experienced real great sadness. Like, she was an adult orphan, actually, to be honest, which was just, yeah, her story was just really heartbreaking. But what she said to me was, she said, I've never experienced, you know, I've always, I believe in God, but I've never experienced freedom and peace, except for last Sunday night, I walked in here, and I saw on these people's faces, she said, freedom here in this church, and peace, and she said, it's almost, is it possible that that's what it's about, like, is it, can it be that free, and um, there was, I saw this longing and hunger in her eyes, and, you know, over since then, she's joined our connect group, and, you know, I've seen her quite a bit, and there's just been some beautiful things that have happened, the Holy Spirit seems to come on her, and the power of God seems to meet her, and the love of Jesus is just opening up her heart, and there's a lot of healing going on. And I said to her, I shared that psalm with her, Psalm 68, verse 6, which says that God sets the lonely in families. And I said, you know, this, this is your family if you want it to be. You know, you can find your home here with us. And I thought, what a beautiful thing, you know. She's finding 
community, which is what we're talking about, that one leg, finding community, and she's experienced the kingdom. And so we've got these two beautiful things going on. And, and, and there's develop, she's growing in community, and she's, she's learning that there's, you know, about the milk and the carton. You know, she's getting an, the appropriate amount of structure for her journey, which is about, which is discipleship, isn't it? But not too much. But then leaning back into kingdom expansion and experience. So it's appropriate, you know, for the knowledge. So that beautiful kind of rhythm of the two things taking place for her. And I think that's what I'd quite like to talk about just in the, this time this afternoon. This thing of an aspect um, of community building that enables kingdom expansion. Yeah. So um, let's pray for a second, shall we? Lord, I just want to pray this afternoon that you'd open our hearts in a fresh way in terms of just hearing what it is that you want to say. And Lord, I just ask now that even as our hearts are open, there'd be a sense of just seeds dropping and being planted in our hearts, seeds that are going to bear fruit. I know there already are just amazing things taking place in this church, but I ask for more in Jesus' name. I ask for more, Lord. I ask you to increase what you're doing in this place around community building and kingdom expansion. And I pray that even as I share on this topic this afternoon, that there be a fresh sense of catching your face and actually more strategy around what's already going on in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this psalm, God Sets the Lonely in Families, this is at the heart um, of God's heart. This is what reverberates right through his narrative, that God is looking for people who are lost. He wants them home, each one. He wants them all home, all of us. And it's, it's what his heart's cry is, that he brings the lonely and brings them into families. And we know ourselves that we were the lonely, that he set us primarily in his family. Henry Nouwen says he brings us from hostility to hospitality. And, you know, even within our own selves, we've got parts that we would say are probably hostile within ourselves. You know, parts of ourselves we may not actually like. We're supposed to love ourselves, but there's bits we don't like, aren't there? You know, the little habits and stuff that we still trip ourselves up over, things that we kind of get annoyed about within our own selves. But sometimes we've got parts of our own selves that feel a bit hostile that we're still learning to love. But as we're learning to embrace ourselves, so we are learning to embrace others. We're learning to let, to let hospitality be seen rather than hostile and make it allowing hostility to be moved aside. And so that's what happens for us when we come to faith. Romans 5.11 tells us that we've received reconciliation. We've each received God's generous welcome in Romans 5.11. In a culture of alienation, hospitality becomes a powerful means of incarnating the truth that God in Christ has welcomed us. And I want to talk about the subject of biblical hospitality. And I don't want us to switch off and think it is just about tea and cakes. Not that there's anything wrong with tea and cakes. I'm up for that. I love coffee. I love sitting and having a good old coffee and a good chat. But this biblical hospitality is not primarily about that. And I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about what biblical hospitality means. What do the scriptures say about hospitality? So I don't know what springs to mind when you think about hospitality. Any thoughts? There's no wrong answers here, don't worry. <laughs> hmm? Martha. Martha. Welcoming. Sharing. Yeah. Sharing what you have. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, beautiful. Inviting, making, bringing them in, inviting them in. Yeah, beautiful. Space for them. Gorgeous. I love that. You see, I almost feel like even talking about the subject in a place like this, I come with humility because you guys are doing it and we've seen your mercy centre. I feel like, why am I talking about this here? And that's why I come with that sense of like, my hunch is that, you know, what you're doing, God wants to increase. It's like you're so, this beautiful thing about biblical hospitality here is just so here. But I just think there's, there's more for you guys. And I feel like he wants you just to kind of go, it's not that you're settling back and saying, oh, you know, we've, we've, we've got it nailed. I know that you're not even thinking like that. But I feel like I want to almost say, look, you know, there's more. There's so much more for you as a people here in this realm. You guys understand this, but I feel like by even talking about this today, I feel like it's like almost another declaration over you, almost another announcement over you of just keep going because you guys, this is a beautiful thing that you have here and it's, there's more, there's much, much more. I just feel so excited and honoured and actually impressed with what's going on. So I'm just going to, yeah, so just, if there's any nuggets in here, just take them. But I know, you know, I know your hearts beat for this, I know. But Henry Nouwen, once again, he says, oh, the, sorry, the definition of hospitality in the dictionary is the generous and friendly treatment of visitors and guests. Whereas Henry Nouwen says, for many, hospitality conjures up images of tea parties, bland conversation, and a general atmosphere of cosiness. And as I said, there's nothing wrong with, you know, those things, but this is not biblical hospitality. But, and we know today also that hospitality is an industry. Um, that whereby remuneration is at the centre. Um, there are no or few free lunches. And I can remember when we first started ourselves as a church down this journey of, of just reaching out and making room as has been described already. We did the soup giveaway down in downtown Auckland. And I said to the team, don't tell anyone <laughs> who you are. Just don't tell them you're from a church. We've made all the soup, we've froze it, we've pulled it out, we've got it on cookers and away we go. We hide ourselves one of those... Um, spaces where people were, you know, doing all sorts of stuff in the markets. And so I called it affectionately later, soup and suspicion, because people were like, why, 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 you know? And I said, don't tell them, it'll freak them out, but don't tell them, just say it's free, no strings. So that was, I think, the first thing that we ever did in terms of like trying to connect with our city around biblical hospitality, making room in our city for others. And we went where the city is and we just did it. And we ended up with some beautiful stories, but that was our very first thing that we ever did. So we were trying to kind of step into this thing of what is biblical hospitality? What does it look like to do it? The Bible, the way the Bible talks about. And so because this is a cherished belief that has been in the church for, for since it's Genesis, we looked at the Acts this morning. So biblical hospitality has been part of the early church. It's just been, it's right there and it's, we know it's in the heart of the Father. So, um, so this thing about um, it being missional, um, the definition in the Greek is love for the stranger, and it's welcome the stranger. Biblical hospitality at its heart is make room for someone unlike myself, which is so, so the heart of God. You know, it's the art of sharing with others the gracious welcome that we've received ourselves from God. This is at the heart of, God, of reconciliation. Not just believing it, the theology, but demonstrating it, the experience. 
And it's profoundly missional, and it's distinguished so much so from these notions of just entertaining. So the implication of this is that there's nothing casual about the kind of hospitality described in the scripture. And it remains today, more than ever, a countercultural counter to our societal norms. It so cuts across the grain of doing you know, biblical hospitality. And Henry Nowen says, if there's any concept worth restoring to its original depth, and evocative potential, it's the concept of biblical hospitality. You guys are onto something, so keep going. It's really great. Um, but let's look at a moment for the scriptures, because it's, it's wonderful when we look at it and go, it's not just our cherished belief, but we can articulate it, we can announce it, we can pass it on. And I really feel today, even for you, those of you here, I know I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to the converted, I'm bringing coal to Newcastle, all that stuff. But I think it's, I feel like for you guys, it's like pass it on, you know, um, pass it on, pass it on. So yeah, it just, it's, I think this is treasure to give away to the next generation. This is treasure. And if, I can, if there's any language I can add to, your, to some of your experiences today, that'd be a wonderful thing around what is, you know, the biblical aspects of what hospitality looks like. So let's have a quick flyover of the Bible. The Old Testament, Scripture describes hospitality as a way of life for Israel. God is the host. We know in the Old Testament, as strangers in the land, Egypt, Israel went from Egypt to Canaan. They experienced provision and protection. He gave them shoes that never wore out. He dropped food from the sky. That was their provision. Their protection was fire and cloud. They only moved when he said move. Where they were safe, they moved with the cloud, and the fire lit the sky up so that they had to move at night. They could see where they were going. This giant torch so that they'd know where to go. So God and his mercy and his kindness and his ability to be a host and his ability to nurture and actually extend love and welcome and bring in the stranger is modeled right there in the, in the wilderness. Exodus 22, don't mistreat the foreigner or oppress him, he says to his people, for you were a foreigner in Egypt. See, their experience of being outcasts, suffering injustice, taught them the appropriate responses to strangers. They learned how to treat a stranger because they were the stranger that, that God welcomed in and showed them how to do it by allowing them to receive it from himself. Beautiful, huh? That's a beautiful thing. So he's saying Israel must extend what has been received from the Lord, mercy and justice to the poor, to the widow, the outcast and the fatherless. And we know Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, we can just go all through those books repeatedly are examples and specifics of you know, how to do this with this person, how to make room for them here. Just lovely, lovely examples which come from the heart of God. Christine Pohl, P-O-H-L, she says in one of her books around this subject, in God's economy, poverty was an involuntary social evil, and they were commanded to be generous. Concerns about recognition and human dignity were addressed through biblical hospitality. As were the barriers such as social differences and boundaries that excluded certain kinds of people. You know, around a meal table, it's a level, it's level, right? We're all just, we come to the shared table, Lloyd mentioned it earlier, Psalm 23. He sets, us, he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Um, you, know, his, you know, we come to the table and his banner over us is love. You know, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're all equal around the table. And this is the thing about just the, the invitation from the Father. Um, so this is a, around a table. There's a sense of beautiful sharing that takes place. So it was particularly the outsider or the foreigner who was the object of hospitality. It was the outsider 
and the foreigner, not the, necessarily the one who was the friend. Outsiders in God's economy were to be protected. They needed to be protected. And, they, and, and you know, Deuteronomy 10, 18 states that the Lord himself loves them. You know, there's this proverb, I think, or a psalm, I think it's a proverb, that says that he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. How often in the Bible do you read about being able to lend to the Lord? That's the only one I know. I mean, how beautiful is that? Wonderful. So, um, so we know that um, you know the Lord loves to take the, the, the outcast and the vulnerable are taken care of. That He watches over him and her in Psalm 146, verse nine. You know, these are the people, the vulnerable, who are living in situations of injustice, oppression, um, and vulnerability. So Israel is invited. Take care of them. Look after them. You know how to do it because I showed you. Paul addresses the importance of hospitality to strangers and Romans. Um, I, I think, I can't remember how, but in the message, um, you know, there's some beautiful language in the message. Um, I can't quite recall it at the moment, what he says in there, but it's just basically something about the, the lavish generosity of, of God, but the lavish love. Um, but we know too that um, in those verses in Romans 12, you know, 13, I think, and 20, it talks about, you know, and even feed your enemy if, it's hung, if he's hungry. It's interesting that he would say that. You know, not just um, about the, the enemy. It's like actually feed him. Once again, it's the food thing. It's the it's the it's the making room. It's the, it's the it's the it's the bringing, allowing the table to be set for the enemy. So, it goes as far as that with Paul and Romans. Um, it's a and we know too that in Timothy and Titus for Paul he was saying it's a basic requirement for ministry and leadership in the church. Biblical hospitality is what we're talking about here. I love it, you know, this thing of like Paul and Acts 28. We see the, these, two, these two strands coming together. We have hospitality, which, and we see this, these, these lovely opportunities for community building and for kingdom expansion. And you can read it later, but Acts 28, it's like, I think it starts off, obviously he's, they've been at sea in the dark forever. They're, they're, they're concerned about even surviving. The shipwreck does happen. They've thrown up on the shores of Malta. I think it's verse 7. It says that they, they experienced a welcome. And Paul says we experienced unusual kindness. Paul says that about the, you know, when they were received. And then a couple of verses later, he gets bitten by a snake, so he shakes that off. And they all think, my goodness, what have we got here? And um, so we, what we've, we've got community building, unusual kindness, kingdom expansion, power. Shake off a snake. And so right there, as the, are these two pull together, you know, Lloyd's talking about this, this walking, this lurching, this controlled lurching. So I don't think we have to lurch very far when it comes to biblical hospitality. I think we can almost expect to see more of it coming together, you know, as we feed people, or as we make room, expecting to hear, you know, words from the Lord, expecting the signs of the kingdom right there around the table. And we see this in Paul's life. And then later, I think, in that same chapter, there's an overseer on the island, I think his name's, uh, is it Publius or Publius? Um, and basically um, it says we were courteously entertained for three days by this man. In the same chapter, Acts 28. And then he gets up, Paul, and he goes and heals his father who's sick in bed. So, you know, looked after. And then a healing right there. And it's all around this beautiful sense of making room and sharing life and hospitality. I think we're convinced, don't we? <laughs> 
Um, but, um, and I know that, but I guess I'm just going through some scriptures as well. And, you know, in the gospel narratives, you know, this was this biblical hospitality, this making room was critical to missionary endeavors. And we know this, Jesus, John 1, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He is the marginalized. He was the outcast. He understood what it was like to be the refugee. He is that man. He is that God who emptied himself of his deity and became a human and understands the plight of the vulnerable and the one who has nowhere to lay his head, Jesus himself. So we know the power of that. It's critical to missionary endeavors. And in his ministry repeatedly, and we know the stories, he empathizes with the outcast. You know, Zacchaeus, come into your house for lunch. I mean, constantly, all the people that were the unlovely or the unloved or the unwanted or the outcast or the judged, he says, I'm, I'm hanging out with you today. I'm coming to your place. And so we know the stories. And we see beautiful kingdom signs as this happens. Luke 14, Jesus challenges us with the narrow definitions of hospitality, which presses us to include those with whom one is least desired to have connections. And he discourages us from having just contact with only our friends, not that we're not to have our friends over, but just that it's not just about our friends. It's not just about the people that it's easy with necessarily, but the ones who are unlike ourselves. I think that's the heart of biblical hospitality, those who are unlike ourselves to make room. And so he challenges us in Acts 14, 12 to 14 around this whole, this whole subject of that. Um, you know, think about his first miracle, water into wine. And he makes, turns water into wine. It's a celebration. It's a community event. It's a party. And right there in the middle of a party, there's a needy couple. Who wants to run out of food at a wedding, especially not the couple? They're throwing their own wedding, and, and he honors them by, um, by doing something beautiful so there was enough. And that's power. that was power. That was just power right there, water into wine. And only the servants knew. Because, you see, the servants always know what Jesus is doing. We know if we were, as his servants because we get to be right there at the coalface of it. The rest of the guests never knew, but the servants knew that there was, there was a miracle. So the, as we serve him, we get to see the miracles. We get to see it on the advancing edge of the kingdom. As, as we reach, as we see community um, opportunity, we see kingdom power. I love that story. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The kindness of the Lord. And just, you know, um, so that the, the couple would be honored at their own wedding and not feel like that they didn't have enough. <coughs> And this whole thing, I mean, he had a bit of help from his mum. We all know that. You know, she gave him a wee bit of a, bit of a dig to get that one going. Um, <coughs> Mum's here. Yeah. Um, so I, but I love that this whole thing became and remained a profound missional practice right through the church. In fact, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church in 18th century England, this was something that he built, well, he built his church on. See, for John Wesley, um, his church was the poor, so there wasn't much division between the church and the poor. So he had to feed his congregation because they were hungry people, but became the, uh, the building block of, me of the Methodist church, which was very precious. So where did we lose this cherished belief? Because it is a cherished belief, and, um, but it got, it's been lost. It's been, it's been lost in the general sense. And, um, and in a way, it was around looking at church history, um, 
in, around the Middle Ages, what started to take place was there were these, this, one sense, this one lovely sense of just making room for those who can't pay back, for those who don't have the ability to give back to the host, um, which is biblical hospitality. These, these, these became two strands instead of one, and it became about um, a benefit for the host. In other words, this, this thing of hospitality became redefined as a, as, as a welcome for those who could um, around in, entertainment. In other words, you know, to have someone over meant it was potentially a business arrangement. If I have them over, we can talk business and there's something in it for me. So this shift started to take place, and these, this one strand became two around the Middle Ages where this, this became about remuneration and a benefit for the host and around business and around um, and transactions rather than just a generous, freely given gift for, that, for one unlike oneself who couldn't pay, pay you back. So it became about, you know, hierarchical and about social, a social, social and political sort of thing um, rather than about just a pure entertainment for, the, for those who can't pay back. And in her book, um, Christine Pohl, she says she calls for recovery of what always has been a Christian tradition. She's caring for the weak and the vulnerable and she calls hospitality a discipline. And I honestly think it is because this isn't easy. It's not easy to put ourselves out sometimes. It's not convenient to make room sometimes when we've got busy schedules and all the rest of it. So I would like to suggest that it is a discipline. It's something that we need, do need to think through in a kind of a deliberate kind of way. So she calls for um, hospitality, calls it a discipline, and that for most of church history, up until the Middle of Ages, this discipline it was central to Christian identity. It was part of the identity of the church. Now Lloyd's got this little saying, and he says that uh, he says that ministry is a series of conversations and interruptions. That's really what ministry life is for all of us. You know, often the best stuff happens while we're on the way to something else. <laughs> We've got a plan A to B, but something comes in, you know, between A and B, and we can go, "Wow, I could have missed that. I could have just said, "No, not today, sorry." But uh, sometimes it's that you know, ministry is a series of conversations and interruptions. And, you know, if it was easy, everyone was doing it. Another quote from this guy, Dunbar, which comes from a missional journal, he says, this is a challenge to us all. Most have little contact with people on the margins. We can be concerned, and rightly so at times, for safety and security, but sometimes at the expense of providing a safe place for others. And just the busyness of life diverts most of us from effective missional engagement. And I love Peterson's phrase. He talks about being the unbusy person. We've tried to get rid of that word actually out of our vocabulary. We talk about a full life, Lloyd and I. We try and go, let's, let's get rid of that busy word. It's just so negative. And the, when we say biz busy, it's almost like it implies there's no room for anything or not even the conversation I'm having now. So we've decided to make some adjustment to our language around the busy word. Um, because really it's a full life we've all got and it's a wonderful thing to be living out of a full life where we are allowing those little nudges of the Holy Spirit to, to give us a little bit of a, a move to the left or to the right should that be what he's inviting. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, we've been, we're working on that one actually as a couple. And so we started, you know, in the year 2000 when we planted the church that we're in now, we started, you know, actively um, trying to be deliberate about this, as you guys have done so beautifully. Oh, just, my gosh, what you're doing here is amazing. But we started <coughs> down this road, and I think I just, I'll just share you a few stories of what happened for us a little bit, but not a lot of detail for the sake of time. <coughs> but somebody to say, the, one I, the thing I mentioned first was that Aotea market soup 
giveaway. So we did that first. That was the first thing we did. We did gave away free soup, and then from there we started doing um, some sort of soup Sundays in our church, which were really good for each other, really, and, and saying you know invite people and let's make room that way. You know, just who is on the margins of your life? Who is on the margins of my life? Who's someone that's got needs and I know about, rather than just leaping out to find the stranger, which is quite a jump. And so we just started doing things like that. There was a space that felt safe enough and um, achievable enough to kind of reach the, those on the margins of my world. And um, I've got some great stories around that, but for the sake of time, like, you know, we, we've all got great stories, but just about how some of the people I've stumbled in, across and who, who some of those people are in my life today, and it's been, thank you so much, it's been beautiful just <clears throat> embracing the people on the margins of my life. And seeing what would happen, so then we started to. Um, what we started to do next was, um, we had we had some lodges because we are in the inner city of Auckland. So we have we our demographic is is the very a lot of people who are living on the streets and a lot of people who are actually very wealthy. So we have these these strands of 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 of, um, of, of society that, that intersect with our church, and um, and so we we have these lodges in our in our community where people who have often just come out of prison or, or for what for whatever reason are struggling to find a home, and they can go to these lodges which actually are just absolutely awful places then they pay exorbitant amounts of money for horrible rooms and they're not safe they're very unsafe places but there's nowhere else to go well this we started actually um dropping food parcels into the lodges and uh so we started to go let's go to the community let's welcome people on the margins into our building and let's let's also go to the community so we started taking food parcels into lodges and um uh, we were talking over lunch about you know this whole thing with, with Kirk, you know the man of peace or the bridge person you know we we meet these people who are bridge people into communities or cultures and their gifts to us. Uh, we can't reach people without bridge people sometimes, and, and that's wonderful, or, or a person of peace. So I guess we found our person of peace. He was sitting on the steps. He had not been long out of prison. He was hungry. He had no money. He had enough to pay the rent. And one of our guys just casually <coughs> came along, and um, <coughs> as you do, and just said, oh, would you like a food parcel? Which for him was like throwing someone a lifeline in an ocean where you're drowning. And he could not believe it. So from that day to this, you know, yes, he took the food parcel. Yes, he became a, a member of our church. And he became, for us, that man of peace into the lodges. So um, we've got great stories about just dropping food. We did that for quite some time. And, did, and it was a lovely, lovely way of actually... Um, Seeing people from the lodges become believers and integrated into our community, which 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 we have seen, and it's so precious, and it's just nothing, done nothing but enrich us. I've been I've been enriched by the by the people that have come into my life, unlike me, who I never and would ever have had the opportunity of calling my friend, and now I do. And I, what a, what a beautiful thing that is. I mean, what a rich thing it is. It's wonderful. So yeah, so he was a bridge person for us. He's cool, actually. <coughs> I really love him. <coughs> so that, that, that's, that, that was another thing that really helped us. And, and from there, what we started to, after that was we started doing a lunch in the building, which is still going. And it's, there's an hour trust that oversees this thing in it. And, and the, the guys who come to the lunch named it, actually. The trust is called the People of Auckland. So the people of Auckland, um, that was a collaborative decision around that name. And, it, and it's run, it's a shared event. So some of those people 
who have been living in lodges are part of the team that make that lunch happen. So we have this lunch that takes place every Wednesday in our building. About 80 people have a free lunch every Wednesday. And it's a shared collaborative experience. You might have someone who's a lawyer who's vacuuming afterwards and someone who um, has, you know, couldn't afford to buy a flat white who's learnt to be a barista. And so it's just this beautiful shared space. I never forget one day I came to, um, I came along and it was a barbecue. I was just going to church because our office is upstairs, and um, he didn't know me, but he was on the barbecue. And this guy's like, "Hi, come on in. Would you like a free sausage?" And I loved that. He didn't even know I was part of. It. I thought, Great. Now, how much ownership does he have for this place? And he doesn't even know me. And, oh my gosh, I love that. And to me, that success where the ownership is that shared and everybody thinks that this belongs to me. And oh, it's just a beautiful thing. So, so that's been another thing that. In, in our journey that's, that's taken place to the point now, and I think the point is that as we make room, and as you've been doing, as we make room and provide a safe place, people begin to relax. A lot of the anxiety around, am I, where, am I safe, starts to just fall off them. They start to, you know, get um, that sense of I belong, a sense of belonging, security starts to, to be there for, and people start to realize, you know what, I've actually got some gifts. I've got some gifts that I've never even realized are there because I've never had an opportunity to explore. I've been so busy living in an anxiety-filled space that I haven't had time to think about what have I got to offer. So we've seen some great stuff happen after the lunch. I think one of the things that took place for a while was uh, one of our girls who's an artist just would throw um, some tables out and there was an art space you know, that at the end of each term, those who wanted would stay and create paintings or draw or carve um, and uh, make these amazing things. And at the end of each um, term, these things would be framed and hung on the walls in our cafe. And a lovely story I heard about that was that there was this person who, apparently there was this beautiful piece of art and I asked someone about it and I was told that when this guy was 11 years old at school, he painted something that the teacher affirmed, and she said, this is a good piece. What you've created is a beautiful piece of work. And he said, it's the only time in his whole life anybody's ever said anything to him that was affirming. It was the first time anyone's ever called something out of him that was honored. And so what he did is he recreated from memory that piece, and we honored it. And he was honored. So what, what happens? Life starts to come. And, um, and um, there's a bunch of them now, of these guys who have started a radio, a radio station and they run it out of their building on you know, two or three days a week called NFA, No Fixed Abode. And they've got a frequency and it's blimmin' hilarious actually, but great. And so now there's a bit of funding that's coming and now there's a space that's being given, a building, not in our church, but just down the road. So now there's a space where these guys are saying to us, you know, we could use the space, we. We're going to run the radio station out of it, but what else can Urban do with that building? Because if we can fill that building, the council's going to let us have it. So what else can we, Urban people, together do? So collaboration and shared mission and partnership, which is kingdom expansion out of community building. So I just wanted to kind of link this beautiful thing of biblical hospitality with these beautiful streams that... Um, Lloyd and Dan have, have been kind of like just just kind of sharing with us just in these last few sessions. Advocacy and justice. 
I've been in lockdown in the courts with a woman who was determined to speak up after being so badly beaten up. And she, you know, the thing that got her was that the, I mean, she'd had many, many hidings over the years, but the truth was she just didn't like that, that, that people didn't believe her. And that was the thing that stuck her the most. And she was like, I am telling the truth and I want people to know it. So we got her out of the lodge. We got her into a, she actually came home with me actually for a couple of days. But um, we got her into a safe place. And then I didn't realise how dire it was because when we went to court, we were in lockdown. I was like, okay. Um, so but advocacy and just standing beside someone who needs a voice, who needs someone to say, yeah, I'll stand with you while you speak. And actually, I got a text from her the other day. She lives in the South Island now. She sent me this gorgeous text. Just, I haven't heard from her for about a year, but I am doing well. How are you? I miss you. Yeah. <clears throat> All these beautiful things that take place. And, um, and so, you know, who's on the edges of our, um, of our, of our, of our world? And look, what God will do through us, you know, reaching out to the margins. So life skills, you know, um, and um, are in place. Um, a guy came to my office the other day and he, he was at the lunch and he said, you know, someone just said something to me and, and he explained the situation and he said, you know, I just, I was so mad. He said, I was so angry. Um, and he said, in the old days, you know, I would have, you know, I would have really given him, I would have worked him over, you know, that. I would have used my fist. And I go, yeah, I do know that. And I said, but you won't, you're not going to do that, eh? And he goes, no, I don't want to. And, he's, and I said, well, you'll lose your flat if you do it, for starters, won't you? And he goes, yeah, and I know, I've got stuff, and, and God's been good to me, and I'm in a community. So I'm, well, my question is, help me now, help me right now to deal with my anger in a different sort of way. So he's gone from being a man that has just done some pretty, some scary stuff to some people's, to some people. Um, to being a man who is saying, help me, help me, help me with my anger. And so we just sat for half an hour, one hour in my office and, and there's availability for people to hear each other and, and he walked out of there and it was good and he apologised actually. He told me, he came back to me and said, I've sorted it out and I said, sorry, so he's learning to use something different than his, than his fists and it's happening in community, it's happening where, where there's a space of honouring and recognition and, and so beautiful things like that. And you know, the nurses now from AUT um, University actually come and do free health checks and it's great for the student nurses because they'd never have an, op have an opportunity to work in that context. Um, and so the student nurses are learning to work with people unlike themselves and, and, and some of our guys are getting some health checks and, and things like you know, high blood pressures being picked up and issues that could be potentially you know, life-threatening are being picked up. So it's a, it's a care for the whole person. And one of our guys who's, um, who's a, um, a psychotherapist who works in the prisons just said to me, I want to come next year and just spend Saturday morning um, and give, give my morning once a week and just work and just work with um, some of the needs that are here. So all these rich things that come out of, as you know, out of, out of, of reaching to the, to the margins. <coughs> and I'm just going to come to a close with this, but just, you know, um, by honouring the person, they receive and use their gifts and um, they come, we feed them bread, and Jesus, the bread of life, comes, and he feeds, and he meets needs, and he restores, and he heals, and he brings people alive. And yeah, and we're seeing healings as well. But Walter Brueggemann, who's a theologian, he says that we, the church, have subversive tasks, and they are to be truth-tellers, to act out an alternative way in the world, to shape and influence society. And under the second point, to act out an alternative way in the world, he says the way we do it is through hospitality, 
through people unlike us, to people unlike ourselves, through generosity in a world of frightened capitalism, and through forgiveness by breaking vicious cycles of vengeance and injustice. And so these, these beautiful treasures that God has given us are going to change our world. And, we, and we, we're not to overlook in their simplicity their power. And so I just want to encourage you guys just to keep going with what you're doing. And I, just, I believe that the Lord's going to give you more. You know, just um, John 21, Jesus reinstates Peter over fish and bread, waiting for him on the beach to do the business. You know, and then we get conversations over food like, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my lambs. Reconciliation, forgiveness, restoration, calling, ministry, life-changing moments over a little fire and a few fish. Beautiful stuff, isn't it? And that's what we're invited into. John 6, Jesus. He knew he had to go through Samaria. You know, he, give me a drink of water, he says. Hospitality. Word of knowledge. Yep, that's right. The guy you're with now isn't your husband either. What happens? Revival. So all through, can I have a drink of water? Waiting, just being there. Hearts being opened. Getting on a living, level playing field. He invites us to a woman and an outcast. Stepping into spaces with those unlike ourselves to see what God will do. And look for the signs of the kingdom rather than feeling like we've got to strap people to our back and then make them into a project. And I think that's, that's, the, that's why a lot of us don't, we don't want to do, do a lot of this, and it's, I think, in terms of Christendom. Because it feels like, oh, too hard, and what do I do with them next? Well, you bless them, and that's what you do only the thing the Father's asking. That's all we do. We do, we do what we're called to do in the moment, and then we go home. But we, we're not called to strap people to our backs and then, you know, start a program of rescue or, you know, um, you know of just of, of self-improvement. We just, we, we give away, we give the bread of life. We can only give what God's given us, and then and then and then we just we walk, we, we, we walk on. Sometimes Jesus walked past plenty of people he didn't heal, but the Father says this one and this one and this one and this one. So it's listen up. Just let's listen up, and then when we get them, expect kingdom expansion. Expect and reach for those tools because I reckon that's what it's about: the community building and the gifts all together at the same time. So let me just give you what I consider to be just half a dozen helpful tips that, well, for me. One, be intentional. In other words, first for ourselves, we need to be receivers of God's welcome. As, we, as I receive God's welcome, I can give it. If there's parts of our heart where we just don't feel like we're just, you know, allowing God to kind of, um, to really touch us, or we feel like we're not receiving God's welcome in terms of loving ourselves, I just want to encourage us, let's go, keep going on that journey of allowing him to break down our own hostility within ourselves of the parts we're struggling with. Let's welcome him to kind of to do business in our own hearts. And as, as, we, as we embrace hospitality, we give it. So, so be intentional for ourselves to receive God's welcome and then being intentional about giving away mercy and, and, and hospitality to others. <clears throat> Not just our friends, although our friends but also strangers, those who cannot return the favour. 
Secondly, realize the power of invitation. You know, Hebrews 13 too talks about that. It tells us to welcome the stranger. It puts it quite clearly. So realize the power of invitation. Ask God to, God to open our eyes as to who's in front of us today. Um, and, and just notice who's in front of us today. I, um, there was, I remember seeing this woman about a, well, she's a girl, I suppose she's a girl. She's a early 20s. Um, she was sitting at the back of church on the floor, kind of knees up head down and there was as much hair on her head this way as there was back and I'm thinking okay and I went and sat beside her on the floor for a bit and said hi she didn't say much and over a period of weeks she kept coming back and she said to me later she said that day you gave me that hug broke something in me she was a tourist from Europe and I had no idea she said and then I heard about her relationship with her mum and how all that stuff that wasn't working and lack of nurture and Mum walked out at 14 and felt she felt responsible. And just a hug, something. And then from there, change, 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 change. Beautiful change. Haircut. I see, oh, I can see this girl's face. It's cute little haircut, fringe. I can see her face. And just, you know, all these changes. And I won't go into all the details, but just the thing about noticing her. All I offered was a hello and a smile. And we took it from there. And she said to me, she opened right up before she went back to her home. She said, my plan to, when, to come to New Zealand was this. I, I was done with life, and I was going to end it in your country. She said, I can tell you where I was going to do it. She sent me a picture. On this track, on this bushwalk, this is where I was going to take these pills. And my life was going to end in your beautiful country, because I can't live anymore like this. And she said to me, but I... I'm still struggling, but I've chosen life. And she said, I wouldn't have chosen it if it wasn't for this place. So she still contacts me from me. But you see, just, you never know what's going on, and it doesn't matter really. It's just okay just to give that little bit that we've got, you know? What have we got? Sandwich and a few fish, feed 5,000. What's in our hand? That's all right. Jesus will multiply it. But we just give that bit. So that was that sense about just noticing <coughs> So realize the power of invitation and remind ourselves, point three, why we do this. We do it because it's a cherished belief. It belongs to the church. It's our treasure. It belongs to us. It's ours to give back to the world. It's ours to give back to speak into society. It's ours to live counterculturally in a world that is looking for remuneration and is suspicious of free things being given like that. It's ours. So this is a cherished belief. Let's not forget why. And you know, when John Wimber, when he came down to New Zealand and he released um, us as the national directors with Lloyd, <clears throat> you know, we'd never been weaker. Lloyd, I don't know, did you refer to having a head injury here? So he'd had a head injury and then, so he'd only been out of hospital for three days when John Wimber came to pray for him and release him as the national director. And I remember when that happened to Lloyd, I remember ringing Bob Fulton and saying, Bob, I don't know if you should really come because Lloyd's in hospital, he's had a stroke. And Bob was like, no, it won't be a stroke. I'm going, no, it is a stroke. And Bob was like, can't be, he's too young. And um, so he said to me, you know, Bob, John says it doesn't matter where Lloyd is, he's going to find him. If he's on his back in a hospital bed, he will lay hands on him and release him as a national director. Because it's not even about how strong you are. It's about standing or lying where you're called to stand or lie. It's about, you know, and, you know, it's that, that whole thing about it doesn't matter how weak we are because through his strength, 
His strength is made perfect in weakness. So it's not about getting strong, it's about getting obedient. And so the thing is, all these things are just so important to, to go. It's, it's never about how smart we are. It's about how obedient, how well we just do the thing he's asking. So in that really weak space, you know, look, John Wimber comes down to New Zealand. He died that year. This was May. He died in November. He was very sick. So here's John Wimber on in a wheelchair on the stage. And here's Lloyd, who can't stand up, sitting on a chair or stool. And here's everybody else seated and me standing, the only one in the room, on my feet. And I remember thinking, this is not how we thought it would look. <laughs> it just looked all wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so it's like, this is not how we thought it was going to look. But this is it. Hang on, people, buckle up because we're off and um and one, as he's speaking over us with these you know will you plant churches that will do this will you will you and he's calling us you know into these huge things i thought will you and we're going yes and he's going mm. and i'm like will you do that honey will you do that <laughs> and um and so and then he gets to this bit and this is what will you plant churches that will love the poor and right there i'm going I don't know how to do that. I just don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that for myself, and I don't know how to do that. But integrity, and in integrity, I'm going to say yes, but oh God, you are going to have to show us because we don't know how to do that. You know, and so we said yes, and he has. And so it's a beautiful thing to just to, just to kind of follow Jesus in the journeys of invitation and that he will show us. So um, remind ourselves why we do it. That's one of the reasons why. I've never forgotten it. I said I would. <clears throat> and, um, and it's in the book. And number four, be realistic. What's feasible? What's practical for us, age and stage and resource-wise? What what, you know, let's be realistic about where we're at. What can we do? But don't feel like we've, this is just a push into condemnation or a, I must. I, you know, this, is a, this is an invitation. But let's be realistic about our resources. You know, how is our energy? What, how much time have we really got? But let's use the resources we do have appropriately but not feel the pressure to, to kind of have to or ought to or should do. Those words are really horrible words. <clears throat> so be realistic. And then fifthly, reflect. This isn't a marketing tool to grow our church, but let's evaluate. How am I doing with this stuff, you know? Am I, am I connecting with people on the margins of my life? Do I have, am I making room for those people? Let's, let's just all reflect and, and, and evaluate how we're doing. And sixthly, risk. Um, you know, we know in the vineyard, you know, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So um, embrace it with faith. We don't always know the outcomes as my stories and your stories would, would echo. Yet God wants people to experience his love and frequently he does it through us. Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these, you do it for me in Matthew 25. And Lloyd said the other night, and I wrote it down because I thought it was great, love and compassion brings us to the edge. The gifts give us something to offer at the edge of the kingdom. But love and compassion take us to the edge of the, they take us to the edge of the, where the darkness is, and then the gifts give us something to offer. We are rich because we have the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're being invited to give away. Beautiful. Isn't that a beautiful invitation from him? 
So just, you know, um, I'd, lo I'd love to pray for us too um, today. I'd love us just, I'd love to really just finish with praying for us because I'd love, you know, that lovely moment where um, I think the Holy Spirit just wants to come and, and I feel like, you know, we're not in the worship. But what I saw was I saw this kind of, this picture, it was like, you know, we're talking about walking, but I felt like I saw this this big metal stake, and I felt like the Lord was saying, "Just drive it home, you know, drive it on home." So you guys have you put a stake in the ground in the city, and I felt like he, it was a hammer. It was like it was like he's saying, "Now drive that home, drive it in." You know, yes, it's in and it's in strong, but don't back off. You know, drive that thing in on good theology and experience and sing the song and announce this to everybody around you who wants to be a part of it because we've got language for this and we've got experiences and we need not pull back or 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 or, or just you know or just be taking the crumbs from under the table we we take the food on the table and then we share it so we can be bold in this and i just feel like he's saying to you as a people now drive this home in, in, in what you're doing and don't stop and don't grow weary in well doing I think it's come up before but it was really on my heart to share this with you Galatians 6 I believe it is don't grow weary people <clears throat> where there's weary edges the Lord wants to refresh you he wants to kind of re-envision and re-encourage and just keep empowering you to not to not back off and to, uh, and to be strengthened in the work. I really believe that. So it'd be great just to just, just you know to receive from him this afternoon in that way of just allowing him to come and strengthen you in this work that you have started. He who has begun a good work in you in Philippians, he'll finish it. But our bit right now, it's like drive it on home. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's happening here. And um, yeah, I think Isaiah 58, you know, if you know how we know it but it's like it talks about the kind of fast that God is looking for um, and you know and it, and it talks about if you will do this if you will do this and it says if you'll feed the hungry and then it this beautiful list of invitations and it says then your light will rise then maybe the very things we're longing for you know it, God will take care of us but he's saying do this this is the kind of this is the kind of sacrifice I'm after Keep going, and your light will rise. He'll take care of you and all of your needs as you go on. So <clears throat> can we just take a moment just to receive from him? Is that all right? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's just stand and do that now. We don't need any music. We're fine. <clears throat> well, I'm not saying we don't want it, but I'm just saying we can just, because it's five to four, and I know that we're supposed to finish at four. So. <clears throat> so let's just take a moment to just, as you know how to, just to get into that, that, that kind of like position. Posture yourself for receiving. <clears throat> so come Lord now bless now bless what you're doing now fan it into flame I, I welcome more Lord I, I feel like you want to encourage these people not to grow weary in well doing Lord and not lose sight of what they have up front and centre it is right it's right it's right so go on I feel like he's encouraging you right now to go on so more, Lord, now, now fan into flame the gifts and the things that lie deep in the hearts of these people. Lord, thank you for the seeds that have been sown. Now, I feel like right now you guys are going to go and scatter. You're believers of all of this. It's like I have been sort of, you know, preaching to the converted, but I feel like he's saying now give it away. Now give it away. Now I just welcome you to come, Holy Spirit, and just, yeah, just fill to overflowing so that out of the overflow it splashes on people. Lord, let, as, as it's been already caught, we just welcome it now to be caught by more.
more, more. Let there be more people that just like see, see the vision here. Let it, let it, let it, um, like you know, let it expand to the left and to the right, right through the city. And even with the changes that are coming in the city, with the the development of housing and all of the stuff, now we welcome it. Now come, now ask for inroads in Jesus' name. Now release those men of peace and women of peace. Release those bridge people. Now I just feel like the Holy Spirit's just, it's like the Lord's going around the room and it's like he's putting like, like ointment on your eyes. It's like salve. It's like, like a, a for seeing. It's like he's bringing some healing. You know when he prayed for the blind man and he said, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. And then he prayed for them again. Now I feel like he's coming around again and he's giving you a clearer picture again. It's like he's letting you see more. Now let it come, Lord. Now open the eyes with vision. That's right. More, more. Now let the, let there be clarity, Lord. Lord, I just yeah. Let there be clarity for those who, for where it looks kind of fuzzy. Now let it be clear. Let it be clear. Bring that. Bring that clarity of sight, vision. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Empower to do more. Lord, thank you. This is a giving people. Now, now, where there's spaces in lots of people's hearts because of giving, where there's weariness, now come and fill so they can receive. For some here, this is a moment of receiving. You need to receive from him. Just receive from him. Because he wants to fill you again. He wants to refresh you. He wants to refresh you bef- before you do it again. More, now let it come. Let that refreshment come. For some, it's like standing under a waterfall right now. That's right. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> More, Lord. That's right. That's right. That's good. Go deeper. Refresh. Let that waterfall just flood them. Flood them. Refresh them. Wash over them. Wash away the grit the gritty bits, the hard bits, the painful parts, the disappointments, the things that haven't worked. Where, we've, where there's been a reaching out and there's been a rebuttal and a rejection. Now come, heal those parts. Like the Lord is saying to some of you, you're doing it for me. When you did it for the least of those, you're doing it for me. And I feel like he's re- aligning some thinking and vision here and helping you see it's actually you're doing it for Jesus. <coughs> it's, it's for Jesus. And so the disappointments f- that you're receiving, he wants to heal your hearts and, and remind you it's actually for him, really. He's giving you love to give away, but it, you're doing it to honor the Lord. Now, I just want to ask, too, as your hands are out or as you're in that receiving posture, now, I ask, Lord, that you'd give each one of these people people to give it away to. I ask for Timothy's disciples, people to give it away to who catch it and go, I see it now, I see it. Let this be multiplied, Lord Jesus, right through this community. This is a cherished belief. Let the younger generation catch it. Let them catch your heart for the broken as well. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
I bless you to pass it on. I felt the Lord was encouraging you and he's going to give you opportunity to pass it on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. You know, these are lovely encounters with the Lord right now. It's real precious. Yeah, I just feel like just shake off all the stuff. This has been trappings with this. Just reminded, you know, Jesus washed Peter's feet and got rid of the grit off of them. Just, just you know, just I just feel like saying, just the things that feel weighty or heavy that don't fit, just give yourself permission to let go of them. <laughs> Be free to do the things that God has invited you to do and be the people God has invited you to be. Be free to do that. Send us, Lord, send us. Send us into this community. Send us into our, fa to our families. Send us to the places where you know we need to be, holding out the word of life, giving away the treasure, announcing the kingdom, and building community with compassion in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay. I'm not sure if anyone's got anything else to add, but I just, just feel like this is just a moment, like a fresh kind of commissioning for some people here. It's a beautiful thing.